I do know that the boys were watching the drop site, okay? And they got curious as to what was being dropped there. That's the voice of witness and friend of the Clintons, Charlene Wilson. That my, my testimony, that my statements, that the people that were on that witness list would never, ever be revealed. Well, ha ha, I received a phone call. Uh, and they told me that um, I had made a very big mistake. Some of them witnesses over a period of time have came up dead and or missing or have never been heard of again. That don't give you a very good feeling. I'm scared of these people. I'm very scared of them. In 1987, a story broke that involved everything. The Medellin cartel, dirty cops, medical examiner with a not-so-clean record, and of course, the Clintons. I mean, it's not a conspiracy without them. Two boys killed, their bodies run over by a train. Was it to cover up drug trafficking? A cover-up for local law enforcement? Or my personal favorite bullshit theory, a coma set on by smoking too much weed? But alas, all opinions are accepted and respected here in the land of strange and unexplained. But they're just not all correct, right? <laughs> all right, guys, let's wade through this bullshit and let's see if we can find some facts. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Just after midnight on August 23, 1987, 16-year-old Don Henry and his best friend, 17-year-old Kevin Ives, went out for a little night hunting. They were using an illegal hunting technique known as shining, where one person uses a high-powered flashlight to blind the animal while the other person shoots it. I'm sure you're familiar. Not the best or fairest way to hunt, to say the least, but for two young men off the back roads of Arkansas, it was a normal Sunday activity. Four hours after setting out from Don's home, the boys' motionless bodies would be spotted by a conductor of a 75-car, 6,000-ton cargo train that was hurtling right towards them. Conductor Stephen Schroyer attempted an emergency stop and blew repeatedly on the diesel horn. But with the train moving at over 50 miles per hour and being over a mile long, it was to no avail. The train hit the bodies of Don and Kevin, and with that, the boys were dead. Their bodies scattered on the tracks that they had known for years. Within two weeks, the medical examiner, Dr. Fami Malak, declared the boys' deaths an accident, blaming marijuana for putting them in a drug-induced coma so they didn't hear the sounds of the oncoming train. He had determined they had smoked around 30, and I quote, marijuana cigarettes. Okay, so that's cut and dry, right? That's what happened. Thanks for coming, guys. If the ME says they died from smoking marijuana cigarettes, then I guess we can wrap this thing up. I mean, 
I mean, people are getting high and laying on tracks all the time. I mean, they don't even hear trains. It's crazy how numbing it is. No. So let's get into the investigation, okay? Or what little there was. Immediately after the ruling of accidental death, the family of the boys started their own investigation with contracted investigators. Thank God, right? So the testimony the conductor gave had many issues that gave great uncertainty that the case was being handled fairly and lawfully. The very first issue came before the boys were even hit. The conductor, along with witnesses on the train, said that even with the diesel horn blowing, the boys did not even flinch. Next, the witnesses said that there was a green tarp laying across the boys' bodies, which was never found, and officers who were first on the scene deny its existence at all. Now, the tarp is huge, right? That sounds um, very petty at first, but when you think, why would these two boys be laying on a tarp um, or laying covered up by a tarp at all, right? Um, That just doesn't make any sense, especially in August in Arkansas. It's humid as shit. You're not covering up with a tarp, and even if you did want to stay warm, I don't think a tarp is your first choice, right? So, Stephen Stroyer, he still claims he and the other witnesses all saw the tarp, and he claims and swears up and down that he told the police about it as soon as they arrived. So when the parents of the boys were met with resistance in trying to find the truth, they held a press conference in hopes of getting the boys' cases reopened, And guess what? It worked. The next day, Prosecutor Richard Garrett had the boys' bodies exhumed and another autopsy performed by an out-of-state examiner. This time it was discovered that one of the boys was killed and the other unconscious when they were placed on the tracks. Don's twenty-two rifle, which he had been carrying that night, had been laid beside him on the tracks. And that exact rifle was possibly used to knock him out and he suffered a concussion. Don's rifle, well, what was left of it, was collected as evidence, but the family of the boys found pieces of it, along with one of the boys' feet, later on at the crime scene. It had not been collected at the crime scene, and it was this was over a week later. This confirmed the family's suspicions that the boys' cases were not being handled properly. Then, of course, there was the ruling of accidental death. This is the most disturbing aspect of this whole case. The fact that the boys were already dead was very, very apparent. The first EMT on the scene wrote in his report that the boys' blood was darker than it should have been, and their skin was an abnormal color. He stated that the boys' remains gave indications that the boys were dead before they were hit, Of course, he is not a certified medical examiner, so his words were written off as assumptions. But other examiners and experts have made Dr. Malax, he's the medical examiner that made the first report that called it, uh, you know, marijuana-induced coma hit by train as cause of death. Um, They've made Dr. Malak's report look very odd, okay, as they came to the conclusion that no amount of marijuana could make you pass out so heavily. Okay, now this is the 80s. Okay, give them a break. Give them a break, right? Um, so, 
marijuana was still very misunderstood then as as my opinion is now by the majority of people. Um, but it was also very weak then. I think anybody who who is a marijuana smoker or was a marijuana smoker, if you smoked anywhere around that time and now, um, you would notice a huge difference in the uh, the strength, the toxicity of the weed. Okay? That's in 85, you probably could smoke 30 marijuana cigarettes and still be fine. <laughs> So I'm sure you're wondering, what's with all this marijuana talk? Like, what even led them to to think this, right? Well, the boys did have some marijuana in their system. The amount of THC in the boys' toxicology indicated the boys had smoked more than two to three marijuana cigarettes. Some Somewhere around there. I would, you know, two to five, whatever. Um, also, the hospital where the boys' autopsy was performed did not even have a record of the autopsy being done in their facility. Okay? That is a huge red flag, my opinion. And in July of 1988, a grand jury overturned the accidental cause of death, and it became a, quote, probable homicide. Later to be changed again to definite homicide. Okay? So we're getting somewhere now. We're catching on. This is definitely a homicide. So one of the boys had evidence of being stabbed or possibly shot, as witnesses came forward saying they heard shots in and around the area where the boys were hit. It was never determined if the shots had come from the 22, <clears throat> pardon me, as forensic tests were never performed on Don's rifle. Many normal procedural processes were ignored during the investigation, both by law enforcement and the medical examiner's office. So how the hell does someone who can't determine a logical cause of death become and then stay a county medical examiner? Well, we're going to take a little turn here and talk about the ME, okay? If you haven't figured that out, it's almost impossible to cover this case and not talk about this ME, okay? So that answer involves someone whose name appears often surrounded by conspiracy theories. Who is that? You ask? Well, none other than our virtuous former president, Mr. Bill Clinton. He was then the governor of Arkansas. Governor Clinton backed and supported Dr. Malek even after several cases began to rise against him. The good doctor holds tight to his story that the boys were alive at the moment of impact and that the train indeed was the thing that killed them and that the so-called evidence against him was actually just results from the train hitting and dragging the remains for over half a mile. And you know what? That's an excellent point. And I would be willing to cut Dr. Malak some slack, except for the fact that this is not Dr. Malak's first missed call during an autopsy. He's made quite a habit of this. In previous years, Dr. Malak's reputation was called into question several times when he mixed up DNA samples, made incorrect rulings, and even falsified evidence. In one case, where a man was found shot five times in the chest, Dr. Malak declared the cause of death to be suicide. Just couldn't hit the right spot, man. Just kept shooting. Yeah, he'll get it eventually. He was determined. Um, also, a, another situation comes to mind where a gentleman was found beheaded 
in his home. And Dr. Malak said that he died before uh, the beheading, actually. Which, which, okay, I was on board there, okay. But his reasoning for thinking so was that he thought that the man's dog ate his head after he died. And just his head. That apparently his, even though there was clean severance marks where this man had been decapitated, they, they, he still proceeded to say that the dog ate his head, okay? And to make matters worse, the man's head was found later. So, just in case you were like, oh, maybe, maybe, no, no. Dogs don't eat heads, okay? If anything, your cat's going to eat you when you die, not your dog. Everyone knows that. So, through all of this, this craziness, the governor at that time, who, you know who, Mr. Bill Clinton, refused to fire him, even when a conflict of interest was revealed and made public. Dr. Malak had made a decision in a case involving Mr. Clinton's mother and kept her from legal scrutiny during a malpractice suit following the death of a patient. Clinton's mother, Virginia Kelly, had been an attending nurse during a case where a woman ended up dying after Kelly had trouble replacing an oxygen tube. And the lady basically went too long without oxygen, and her body never recovered. The young woman had originally, the reason she was in the hospital, is she had been hit in the face by a piece of concrete thrown into a moving car during during an altercation on the street. She was taken to the hospital with injuries to her face, teeth, and neck. Now, during the surgery, the oxygen tube needed to be removed from her nose and moved to her throat so repairs to her nose could be done. Kelly attempted to insert the new oxygen tube into the patient's throat and failed, so she had to be assisted by a colleague who was an ENT specialist. He speculated himself that the death of the patient was not homicide, but caused by complications during the surgery. However, the death was ruled a homicide by our friend Dr. Malak, and therefore blame was placed on the man who threw the brick. This ruling was so significant because at the time, Kelly was involved in a malpractice suit involving a patient who died of a lack of oxygen during surgery. So this is two people now who have died under Miss Virginia Kelly's care uh, due to lack of oxygen. And from what I found in my research, in my studies, uh, is that this was her only job, was to provide the oxygen and anesthetic. That's pretty much it. That's all Miss Virginia Kelly had to do, okay? But Malak's ruling kept kept, kept her already mounting legal troubles from growing. And of course, the Clintons have denied any allegations of wrongdoing. And Malak has not only kept his job after numerous causes for immediate termination, but has even received raises after each incident is brought to attention. It's clear to see why such a whirlwind of conspiracies surround this case. The Clintons and Dr. Malak. And all of this. But again, all of this remains circumstantial. So let's back a little bit out of the rabbit hole and let's get back into this case and back into the real world, okay? 
Eventually, a third autopsy was performed on the boys. And then, this is when it was concluded that Don had been stabbed in the back and Kevin bludgeoned, possibly with the 22 rifle in the head, before being placed on the tracks. The boys' death... The boys' deaths were then officially ruled a homicide. It is interesting to note that six other people who were thought to be connected to the case ended up dying under mysterious circumstances or just flat-out disappearing. Okay, so we have all these witnesses, right? Allegedly, even though most of them have been killed. But you mean to tell me that no one got a word out, right? No one had anything to say? Well, let's talk about suspects, shall we? Shortly after the boys' murders, rumors started to fly that the boys had witnessed a drug drop and were therefore killed as a result. Of course, during that time in Arkansas, there was a heavy drug trafficking operation by the Medellin cartel out of Colombia. Yeah, that Medellin cartel. Pablo Escobar. And it is a very reasonable conclusion. However... No specific suspects were ever named until a retired WWF star named Billy Jack Haynes posted a video testimony on YouTube in 2016 claiming he witnessed the murders. And although an investigation was done, his testimony was never proven true, although he gives a very convincing testimony, a damn convincing testimony if you ask me. And the man has told the story many times, and the details always remain the same. I'm Billy Jack Haynes, former World Wrestling Federation wrestler. Today I come with no mask. I come with no hidden voice. I come to you straight face to face because this is reality, man. Don't hide nothing. Thirty years ago, I witnessed the murder of two teenagers on a railroad tracks, August 23rd, Alexander, Arkansas. 27 years of that, I was a drug addict on pain pill medication. I become clean. It kept bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And finally, when Seth Rich was killed July 10th, I knew that was a message to me because that's my birthday, July 10th. So here I am coming forward. This is a plea that I'm going to read here for you today. The plea is for those who has yet to contribute to the GoFundMe dot com Kevin Ives Don Henry murders that happened 30 years ago please contribute to the fund so that the investigator can continue his work he says that they still need to interview possible witnesses and gather more information that will assist him in the investigation of the murder of Kevin Ives and Don Henry also, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Hashtag Kevin Ive, hashtag Don Henry. A former drug trafficker, I'm ashamed to say, and a hired enforcer. In the late 70s and early 1980s, when I was in my 30s, I stood six foot three and weighed between 260 and 300 pounds. I was very visually intimidating. I'm not proud to say that. In the 1980s, I transported and trafficked in large 
quantities of cocaine throughout the United States of America. I bought cocaine from the largest drug trafficker in the United States, Barry Seal, out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I would then sell that cocaine to contacts around the United States. Barry Seal later introduced me to a politician drug dealer from Arkansas. In 1984, that politician drug dealer asked me to kill David Kennedy, who I later learned was the son of very well-known politician Robert F. Kennedy, the brother of President John F. Kennedy. I was also an enforcer who provided muscle to other parts of the criminal element to ensure that their illegal business dealings were collected upon. In August of 1987, I was contacted by the Arkansas criminal politician and was asked if I would provide muscle at an Arkansas drug stop. The criminal politician suspected that some drug money drops were being stolen. He suspected that the state police officers were involved in the thefts in Arkansas. I agreed to assist with security at the drug drop site. While conducting security for the drug money drop, I witnessed the murders of two young boys, Kevin Ives and Don Henry. They were murdered by other individuals who were working for the same criminal politician. Their bodies were placed on the railroad tracks to be mutilated by a passing train. In late 2016, I contacted Linda Ives and informed her that I was on the railroad tracks and when her son was murdered, I was there. I have since met Larry and Linda Ives and their private investigator, Keith Ronsaval. I gave them a statement outing everything that I knew about their sons and Don Henry's murders. In my statement, I named three local enforcement officers, two local attorneys, politicians, and a local bar owner as those being on the scene of the murders in 1987. I also named the criminal politician who directed the events at the scene via cell phone with one of the attorneys, politicians, and me. Your assistance by donating to the Kevin Ives and Don Henry GoFundMe account is greatly appreciated by Larry, Linda Ives, me, Billy Jack Haynes. Please, if you've got it in your heart, I'm standing here putting my life on the line today, telling you that I could very well be killed. Open your pocketbooks, give money to this fund, because they have to be taken down. And Linda Ives, after 30 years, man, 30 years if your son was killed, you deserve some credit too, and you deserve some money coming your way so it can be investigated. Go to the GoFundMe page, please. Thank you very much. All right, like I said, that was Billy Jack Haynes, and his testimony was technically never proven true. Um, 
so an investigation was done in regards to his testimony, but you hear he doesn't have any names. He doesn't give any uh, really facial features or anything like that. He just says what happens. Um, there's another interview on YouTube. If you search Billy Jack Hayes, Boys on Tracks interview, um, or Billy Jack Hayes, Boys on Tracks, whatever, you'll find it. And there's another or more recent interview that he's done. Um, and I didn't use that U- that video because it is done by a, a YouTube channel, um, one that is currently still working on this case. That channel is called The Hannibal TV, and they have multiple videos concerning this case. Um, they've done a very extensive interview uh, with Billy Jack Haynes here, and not only just about uh, the boys on the tracks, but all aspects of his life and the conspiracies and the the shady shit that he has been involved in. The man has lived an interesting life, um, if it is all true. So, um, now, moving forward, there was another suspect. Another suspect was a man who had been spotted in the area by police uh, just a few days before the murders. And this man was pretty much only described as wearing army fatigues. Um, when an officer tried to stop the man in the road, the stranger took out a gun and opened fire on the officer before disappearing into the woods. The officer was not hurt, and an immediate search involving um, multiple agencies was conducted, but no one ever found him. So, real quick, I want to I pause right here uh, before we move on and just leave that where it is. Um, like most most articles and most videos and things that I watched or read or saw, listened to, they did. They they just mentioned this guy in camo fatigues and then they dip out. Well, here's the thing. So no one else saw him, okay? Billy Jack Haynes didn't see him. Allegedly, he was there that night. Um, the conductor of the train didn't see him, didn't see anyone like that. Of course, the, the kids were were dead and these pe- perpetrators were long gone before the train showed up. I, I realized that. Um, but in Billy Jack Haynes' statement, he talks about, if, if you didn't catch it in this one, it kind of, kind of sugarcoats it in the one I played you. It's really worth going and see, going and listening to the one on, um, the Hannibal TV on YouTube. But he talks about how the two men that were there waiting to quote unquote steal the drop, um, were local police officers. So, and those two local police officers, allegedly, were the two men that found the boys. So, who saw the man in camo fatigues? Right? Only one person did, and that person was also a police officer. And, I mean, it just seems too convenient. It just seems like a load of bullshit. It looks like they just they just wanted to send everyone off on a wild goose chase and they needed a suspect. They needed someone to look for. Right? So this guy shoots at a cop and then just runs off in the woods and they can't find him? That don't even make no sense. You got multiple agencies looking for him? He's Nah, that just doesn't sound right. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 
I don't know. I don't know if I believe this whole story. I don't know if there ever was a man in army fatigues, or or what the deal, what the deal with that guy is. But nonetheless, that's my opinion on it. So, all right. So let's move on. Then on the night of the boy's murder, again the same. Apparently, this guy, this same uh, strange gentleman, was spotted on the road running along the railroad tracks, uh, just two hundred yards from the boy's bodies. He was headed out of town, and conveniently after this, he was never seen again. You see what I'm saying? It just, really? He was spotted? I mean, they could, the police could have paid anyone to say that. It could have been a family a member of the police officer that said this. It could have been, it could have been anybody. And he's spotted running along the railroad tracks? Isn't that convenient? He's right there where the murder happened. But, like, if he was getting away, why the hell would he run? He's not running. If he came there for the drug drop and instead found two boys and he killed them, what was he going to carry all the drugs or the money around away in? I mean, you're talking some of these drug drops could be in the millions of dollars, whether it be worth of drugs or cash. And you're telling me that this guy just like walked up and was like, oh, I'll just carry the multiple duffel bags of product away? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think, and I'm not the only one, um, but I think this is all false information regarding this gentleman here. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it comes up in a lot of the reports. Uh, it comes up a lot in uh, in articles on this case. And it's just one, it's one little avenue of the rabbit hole that, I, I could cross off for you, okay? So if you want to dive a little deeper, I don't really suggest looking into that that guy very much. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my gut feeling. So during the investigation, uh, a hired private detective uncovered that a very similar case had happened in Ogden, Oklahoma in 1984. In this case, two young men, Billy Hainline, who was then 26, and Dennis Decker, who was 21, were found after being hit by a train. Their bodies laying almost identical to that of Don and Kevin's. Their deaths were ruled accident by the county coroner, also um, believing that they had been under the influence of alcohol at the time and had fallen asleep on the tracks. Very similar. Just substitute marijuana for alcohol because they probably just had alcohol in their system instead of weed. Right, um, so in that case, the state coroner ruled the cause of death to be undetermined, despite the county coroner's ruling as foul play was suspected. You know, obviously he can't say foul play for sure, but the coroner reported that foul play was suspected. So there had never been any proven link between the cases of these two boys. But of course, the internet is full of Clinton-heavy allegations, noting all the drug connections in the area. So, lastly, at least two witnesses tried to report that they had witnessed two teens being beaten by police and put into the trunk of a car on the night of the boys' murders. At least two witnesses tried to report this. However, these testimonies never turned up anything, although it was believed that many local officials were involved in the drug trafficking, of course. 
And to this day, there's never been any arrest in the case of Don and Kevin. And unfortunately, the case was considered closed without resolution. Um, Shocker, I know. I I just feel like anything that made it this far, any case that made it to this point, um, you have all these people coming forward, you have have a, a very sketchy medical examiner um, who has time and time again um, just been full of shit, making up stories, fabricating evidence, um, all of these type things, and he's ruling over it and makes a decision so quickly. Um, you look at the, the big pieces of evidence that were left at the crime scene. One of the boy's feet were left at the crime scene. Jesus Christ. I mean, this was not going to be, in, this wasn't investigated then, and it's never going to be investigated. This is one of those things, this is one of those instances where we can do nothing but spread the word about it, really. Um, you just feel so powerless in crimes like this. It's almost like you're not even that nervous about sharing the information because the people involved are so lofty. They almost seem untouchable. They really do. Um, and, and it seems it seems scary in a way. But, guys, that's the story of uh, the boys on the tracks. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, unfortunately, this week, uh, you won't be able to hear from Lauren, guys. I apologize for that. He had a family, family emergency this week and was unable to uh, study for, for uh, Strange and Unexplained this week. But he will be back next week, I promise you, uh, with a uh, probably a, a better researched and a much more on-point Lauren synopsis for next week's episode. I have no doubt. He always comes back with a vengeance. All right, guys. Like I said, that's about all I got that's um, meaningful on Boys on the Tracks. There are, oh my God, there are so many rabbit holes that you could go down if you wanted to dig into this case. Um there's just it's it's still being it's still being looked at by uh, by all sorts of groups on the internet now. Like I said, the official investigation has been closed, but you know the power of podcasts. There is a podcast um, out about it, Boys on the Tracks, called True Crime Chronicles. Um, I believe is the name of it, True Crime Chronicles, and they did a you know multiple episodes just on this this <laughs> this case, Boys on the Tracks. There's there's so much to it. It goes very deep. It's one of those cases that can consume you if you let it. So I'm going to let it go, guys. That's what I have about it. Moving forward, if you guys would like to support this show, um, if you do like to support this show, you'd like to get some extra content and maybe get these free episodes um, on early releases every Thursday. huh? Does that sound pretty good? Maybe Thursday is a better day for you. Maybe it's right around payday. huh? You're in a better mood. Maybe you'll leave me a better review. I don't know. But if that's you, check out patreon.com slash S&U podcast. Spell out and. S&U podcast. Patreon.com slash S&U podcast. For just three bucks a month, you can get early access to this show, these, these weekly releases on Thursday. And you can also get access to two other shows I do. One being strange and... Uh, I mean... Pfft. One being strange and unexplained. Oh, we didn't know you did that one, Marco. Good one. Uh, no, it would be a strange shorts. 
Okay, that's one of them. That consists of cases that are that are odd. They're usually a little bit lighter. I try to do more lighter cases that are just more strange, more awkward um, type crime, or or maybe just instances. Um, but there's just not enough there for a whole episode, or at least I don't feel like there is. So I'll do a strange shorts on those, uh, even though the episode still ends up being 25, 30 minutes. Um, sometimes they're as long as a regular episode, up into the 40s of minutes. But yeah, whatever. It is what it is, right? I ramble sometimes. Oh, you hadn't noticed. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I also do another show called The Palate Cleanser uh, when I get around to it. It's a show where uh, it basically has one purpose, and it's just to clear your mind of true crime. It's it's uh, There's random segments in the show. Um, sometimes it can be very atmospheric. Maybe there's more music. Uh, maybe I do a cover of a, of a popular song. Uh, just, just different things that I incorporate in the palate cleanser just to kind of... Uh, let you guys breathe easy. It's it's a good thing if you're listening to true crime deep into the night and you're getting ready to go to sleep. Maybe listen to a palate cleanser right before you go to bed, right? Right before or right before you doze off, rather. So again, that's Patreon.com/snu podcast if you guys are interested. Um, and of course, there's also other levels as well. There's that was a three dollar level. There's a five dollar level and a ten dollar level, and they have increasingly rewards as you go. Okay. I'm sorry, there's not a $10 level. There's only a 5 I got a $10 level in the future. I'm thinking about it. I just, I just don't know what I'm going to put on it yet. Um, but if you can't support the show in that way, no big deal. Another great way to support the show is to leave a review. You can leave a review uh, where almost wherever you listen, but one of the best places to do it is iTunes. Uh, even if you don't have a, an iPhone or whatever, you can get Apple Podcast app, or, um, or you can leave a review on Podcast Addict. As well, that's a that's a uh, app for Android. Uh, wherever you can leave a review, I appreciate it very much. Da- uh, subscribe, um, tell your friends, download the episodes, guys. All of that helps the show more than you know. Um, also, go give us a follow on social media at SNU Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, yeah, wherever your uh, social media ing at. I will be there. Okay, at S and U podcast. If you have a case suggestion, S and U podcast at gmail.com. Are you guys catching a catching a, a trend here? S and U podcast. You can find me wherever you are looking. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to quit the rambling. Um, strange and unexplained shirts to be available soon. Guys, if you're not True Crime Guys fans, check out our True Crime Guys uh, social media, True Crime Guys at True Crime Guys at all the social medias so go check out there for updates on new merch uh, because new true crime guys merch will be coming very soon as well so tc productions guys it's just growing we're just getting started okay so stay tuned and remember guys be strange don't be a stranger